When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTFPodNet on Twitter. You can find me, your host, Matthew Burning, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, though, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Radio, Mr. Bob Lung, the award-winning fantasy football consistency guide and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the most advanced stats in football, baseball, basketball, and college football. College football stats are extremely hard to find. For just $15 a year, you can look at all of these. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. If you like to dive into the analytical side of sports and or for I use it for prospects, college football prospects specifically, it is amazing. It goes down to the minutest of details in this stuff. And again, it's just $15 a year. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off of that, which is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself, and probably the best deal in the industry. So definitely check them out, especially if you want to get a jump on the upcoming draft class. It'll be well worth your time and money. For today's episode, we're breaking down the divisional round games. We had four games on this past weekend, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Uh, really, for the most part, four really good games, all of them a little bit different in any in, in sort of way. Uh, but it was definitely fun to talk about, or definitely will be fun to talk about, I'm sorry, as Matt and Dennis are sitting here waiting to jump on. Uh, we've also got some breaking news. Obviously, the Browns have now finally officially hired their head coach. Rumors have been out since yesterday, made it official earlier today. And the Broncos are looking at bringing a new offensive coordinator on, which is obviously Mr. Fox's team. So we're going to bring those two on here. Again, you can follow them at... Nighthawk7734 for Mr. Matthew Fox and at culture underscore coach for Dennis Bennett. Let's get him on here and let's talk about the divisional round and the new coaching changes. Hello! It is Monday and we had a fantastic round of divisional football games. But before we get into breaking that down, we're going to talk about some of the breaking news that have happened with head coaches. But let's get Dennis and Matt on here uh, and let them introduce themselves here yet again as they did last Monday. Dennis, Matt, how you guys doing on this beautiful Monday afternoon? Dennis is fantastic. Warm here in Ohio. It's in the mid-40s in January, so... Very nice. Means it'll snow in June. <laughs> I hope not. 
Well, never mind. I won't be up there in June. The Midwest Fantasy Expo is in August, so it can snow in June. Then I'm fine with that, actually. Might snow in August just for you. Hey, you know what? I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be upset. That we got a little bit of snow here in Texas, if you can call it that, on uh, on Saturday. It was like a very, 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 very light dusting. It lasted for like all of an hour. But you know, us Texans were were thrilled. We have not seen snow in years, so you know, it's a big deal for us, for sure. I know you two probably get sick of uh, sick of seeing snow a week into getting it where you guys are at. Yeah, it's not too. Too bad. January, Colorado is a little weird because January and February, we don't always have as much snow. But the ski resorts, when they get huge snowstorms, sometimes all we get is windstorms, which is my least favorite thing, which we've been having a lot lately. How bad does it get? Like, we're talking like 60, 70, 80 mile per hour winds? That's what we got here on Friday, I think. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, I don't think today was that bad, although. I will admit to not having been outside since 1030 this morning. Uh, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. If I could, if I could do the same thing, I would. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in. We've had a two, one big news in the coaching hire, obviously, that we've kind of been speculating about here for the past couple weeks. And then one that actually happens or looks like it's going to happen with Matt's favorite team. So we'll, I want to touch on both of those before we jump in and talk about the four division games we got this weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. We'll kick it off with the Cleveland Browns. They've hired Kevin Stefanski as their head coach. Was the offensive coordinator, obviously, for Minnesota all of last season and about, I would I think is like five or six games the season before that when they let John Filippo go. Uh, so I've been giving my thoughts on Twitter. Obviously, a lot if you follow me, you've seen a lot of people I've been replying to with my thoughts. Uh, I, I, you know what? I'll go first because I feel like mine are probably going to be the most positive out of the three of us. Maybe. I feel like I already know where Matt's going, so I, I'm interested to hear where Dennis goes. I don't think it's a bad hire at all. Uh, I mean, I know uh, a lot of Browns fans wanted McDaniels. He was the sexy name. Uh, I've heard, obviously, and read about a lot of the rumors that happened with the McDaniels thing. He came in and pretty much told them that they needed a completely clean house. The Haslams didn't want to do that, so he didn't get the job. Uh, for me, I wanted it to be Stefanski or Salah, or, or Saleh, however you say his name. Uh, obviously, they they ended up going with Stefanski. I don't have an issue with it. Uh, you know, I've talked about it before on here. I believe it was when just me and Matt were on here, and I was talking about when his name kind of got brought up. Uh, that I think he's going to do a good job. I've watched interviews of him on the Minnesota Vikings website about him talking about if he ever got a head coaching job, he would focus on being a head coach, and his job is to put the right people in position. Uh, he is credited for doing a good job of working with quarterbacks, and I do think that's a big deal. They've got to fix six. Uh, he, he's, the, he's the franchise head. I'm a little worried about some of the things I'm hearing about him now, and possibly they may move on from him in a year. I don't want to address that today because I'm already depressed enough when I saw that the first time. So I, I do think Stefanski can come in and make Baker better if he brings in a good defensive head coordinator, which they're already talking about, Wade Phillips. Someone to come in and call plays. I, I think Stefanski, with the way that he works with the analytics or is willing to work with the analytical side of the building, is now making one voice in Cleveland. Uh, so I think it's a good move. I think as a shot to be a really good move, obviously, depending on how he rounds out his coaching staff. Uh, Dennis, why don't you give us your opinion on your thoughts on the Browns bringing in Kevin Stefanski? I'm in wait-and-see mode. I don't think it's a bad hire. Uh, I know Deep Podesta wanted Stefanski uh, 
last year when they hired Kitchens, and he wanted somebody else when they hired Hugh. So he finally gets himself an analytics. I don't want to say based coach because I think right. Stefanski has basically said, you know, I, I I think they have a purpose. There's definitely a use for them. And why would I not take advantage of every opportunity for my team to be good or to make the best calls and put my team in the best position to make plays? So there's certainly a gut instinct you go with at times. Analytics or no. I mean, and sometimes I think like if you look at uh, John Harbaugh in Baltimore, he embraced analytics to the point to where he said, I'm going to just, you know, his gut instinct wasn't do I do I punt or do I go for fourth down? His gut instinct was I believe analytics are going to work. And so if analytics says we should go for it, then I'm going to go for it because my gut tells me believe the analytics right. as opposed to some of these other guys who are who would say my gut tells me do whatever the hell I want, you know, punt on first down or whatever. But it's he it it you got to the, the Browns have been such a mess for so long that I don't think I can get I, I don't think I'd be any more excited if it had been Josh Daniels because of the baggage that he brings. And when you look at the Bill Belichick coaching tree, I, I think if we're being completely honest, Bill O'Brien is the best of it. Yeah, well, and that's not saying a lot with the, what we're going to talk about today on what happened this exactly. weekend. Exactly. So that's why I've always tempered my expectations and joy about McDaniels. Yes, he's grown a lot in the past 10 years. I would assume we all have. But, you know, Mike Vrabel never coached under Bill Belichick. He just played under him. And Vrabel seems probably most similar to Belichick, except for he's a boisterous son of a gun. He, he's, he wears his emotions on his sleeve during a game. So let's see what kind of staff Stefanski builds. Uh, you know, DeFilippo is available as a coordinator. Does he go there because he's familiar with it? You know, what, what does he do? Is it going to be Wade Phillips on the defensive side? You know, Minnesota just fired their defensive coordinator, so it's there's uh, there's going to be coaches available, but we're the last team to pick, so there's not as many coaches. We saw what happened last year and going into this year with Cincinnati. They were the last team to name their head coach. They ended up having to get you know a bunch of guys that you know perception is reality and the perception was they were just the leftovers to fill out their coaching staff so we'll see what happens all right matt give it to us your thoughts on stefanski i mean i think you kind of got to wait and see see what kind of uh staff he gets you don't really know what kind of coach he is i, I feel like we would all, in hindsight, say maybe it was a little bit of a reach to put Kitchens in that role last year. I don't know that they did themselves any service here. Stefanski has only been an NFL coach for 14 years. He's only had one full year ever at the coordinator level, and his entire coaching career 
is all offensive positions with the Minnesota Vikings. And from 2006 to 2019, I don't know that you would say like quarterback and passing game offense was something that you think of Minnesota and say, oh man, they were great. Uh, and they've had some talented players, but you're talking about him being, you know, really good at working and developing quarterbacks. Who have they worked and developed in the last 14 years as a quarterback in Minnesota? And I know you might be tempted to say Bridgewater, who had a couple of okay, maybe he's coming along and then had that unfortunate injury, but I think he's looked much more apt as a passer in his limited time working with Sean Payton in New Orleans than what we ever really saw as a sample size in Minnesota. I mean, they've mostly patched together with journeyman players. I actually, I still have some concerns about him running a program considering that somebody was put in as the architect of the offensive system over him this year. I mean, I know you don't think that's a big deal, but I watched the way they play. None of that is Kevin Stefanski. That is Gary Kubiak. I've watched it for 30 years. You cannot convince me otherwise. And especially, you know, I know there's a lot of criticism because Minnesota looked like they had never played professional football at times on Saturday, but I don't think you can just judge by one game. So, I mean, he could turn out to be great. We've seen... Other coaches who have, you know, who you don't really know of a background. But I think it's interesting that people were more critical of Joe Judge, who, if you were looking, has been a special teams coordinator and run one of the best special teams units in the NFL for four years. He has a hundred times better experience than Stefanski at this point in time, if you were being critical of their backgrounds. So it, it's, I'm with Dennis, it's a real unknown and seeing what he gets for our staff is really going to fill the rest of it out because, you know, if he ends up not finding anyone he likes for offensive coordinator and ends up taking that job on, which, you know, I know you've said in the interviews he doesn't want to do, but sometimes what you want to do and what you end up doing are two separate things. That's going to be a lot of pressure. Who do they get for defense? You know, I have always had a soft spot for Wade Phillips. He was incredible. Uh, for a couple of seasons in Denver, but he's getting older. You know, is he the right fit for that? Is he the right temperament? I mean, there's just a lot of things we don't know. He, it could end up, you know, like a John Harbaugh situation, and it's really great for you. Or it could end up being another struggle last year. Um, so there's something the Browns saw that they really liked. I would, am not a proponent of Josh McDaniels, as you well know. So, you know, I'd rather take a chance on a guy that we don't know what we're getting than uh, see you guys stuck with the McDaniels experience, especially since stories started to come out that he had strong feelings on how to restructure the organization. Uh, that would have given me a moment of pause. So, you know, it's it's probably a wait and see. I understand Browns fans who were hoping for some kind of bigger splash uh, to maybe be a little apprehensive, especially after what we just saw on Saturday. But we got to give them a chance to hire a staff and, and see what they can do. You know, with the quarterbacks, it, in Stefanski's career when he was quarterback coaching, so he had Brett Favre in 09, 
Brett Favre, Tavares Jackson, and Joe Webb in 2010. Christian Ponder and Donovan McNabb in 2011. Christian Ponder in 2012. Christian Ponder, Matt Castle, and Josh Freeman. He was only the quarterback coach in 17 and 18, so his quarterbacks he would have worked with would have been Bradford, Keenum, and and Kirk Cousins. Well, he was the assistant quarterback coach from 09 to 14. Well, here's my thing on the quarterback. So you said who has he developed. I mean – Granted, both of these quarterbacks, when they came here, were already, for the most part, developed. But the year that Case Keenum had, we have never seen that out of Case Keenum in Minnesota. And you and can't credit all that to Stefanski. largely being credited to Pat Shermer, though. So, I mean, that's going to be the real question because that's one of the reasons Pat Shermer— Is it, though? I mean, Daniel Jones and Eli were nothing with Pat Shermer, so I, I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, Daniel I, Jones— looked much better than i think most people expected there were other many many other problems with the the giants but i I would fight you on that one i i think that's you know you want to believe the best and i hope you're right but well no i'm just that's a stretch at this point in time and giving him any kind of credit is a stretch until we see it proven I mean, yeah, okay, we're, we're just going to disagree on that that part. I mean, I, again, he was there. Case Keenum had a great year. I know you're not a fan of Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins, especially this year, has looked a lot better. I know that uh, you keep bringing up the Gary Kubiak thing. Gary Kubiak is actually an assistant coach under him. Like, he's under Stefanski, not above Stefanski. So you can't give all of the credit to Kubiak when, when I'm reading interviews. I've been doing it all day today. He, uh, he of is, them. No, he is not an assistant under him. He's the... He's not in the coaching tree. He's over the offense. I I read all about how they started. And you know what? It's fine if you want to have your opinion, but I've watched Gary Kubiak's offenses for 30 years, and I watched Minnesota. You cannot convince me this was Stefanski's design. I'm not saying it was his design, but I'm reading an article that was published on November 15th. So that was not even, was that three months ago? Four months ago? talking about how Stefanski as the offensive coordinator bounces ideas off of Gary Kubiak and the system he created. It says that it's the system he created. I'm not saying that Kevin Stefanski created the system one bit. Words never came out of my mouth. But he bounces the ideas off him and he calls the plays. It's not Kubiak calling the plays. So yes, he created the system, but it's still Stefanski calling the plays. It's Stefanski running the offense. I understand it's Kubiak's system, but Kubiak's not saying, hey, Kevin, you need to call this play for this right here, and then that's what happens. It's it's not that way. So I think, in my opinion, you're giving too much credit to Gary Kubiak, where some of that needs to go to Kevin Stefanski and vice versa. Again, I'm not trying to say it's all Kevin Stefanski. When someone when he clearly comes out and says, I am helping run a system that Gary Kubiak created, clearly it's not his system. There are not very many coaches that have their own system, so I'm not going to sit there and fault him for running somebody else's. But, I, I mean, I am. I'm going to give him credit oh, for some I, of the things I that he totally did. I totally agree with you. It was very clear that Gary Kubiak's not calling the plays when you watched him on Saturday. Uh, I mean, I, we're, we'll, we'll disagree. I don't want to I don't want to take up the whole podcast arguing about that. I, mean, I, I think that they did a really good job. I mean, yeah, they didn't have a great uh, ending to the season, but, I mean, all in all, Minnesota had a good year. Um, like I said, I'm going to take – some of the Browns pieces over what the Vikings have. I'm taking Baker over Kirk. I think Stefanski coming in is going to be a good thing for him. Uh, I, I personally do not think it's a bad thing. 
Uh, let's go uh, Broncos. The The rumor is that the Broncos are bringing in Pat Shermer as their offensive coordinator. Matt, what are your thoughts on that before we move on to the game uh, recaps? Um, I, I was a little surprised they ended up uh, firing Scangarello. Um, you know, I, I know that they had high hopes for him. Denver statistically was in the bottom of the league in a lot of categories. Hard to, you know, they seemed to, they were an offense that got demonstrably better toward the end of the year when, when Locke went in there and, you know, they had some better personnel. Um, it feels like it's a case of they decided that they thought Pat Shermer, when he became available, would be uh, great. So then they decided to make a coaching move and, you know, maybe it will be good. Maybe it won't be good. Um, I wasn't incredibly excited or incredibly disappointed. I, you know, I hope just hope Denver keeps getting better and develops its young players probably the same way you feel. You just want to get a coach that's going to see the young assets, help them get the most out of it and make your team better. I understand the wanting to make some kind of a change considering where Denver ranked defensively and the fact we were seven and nine, you know, a li- even a moderate middle of the pack offense probably would have been worth one or two more wins, which, you know, I think there's been a lot of local media that have really clung to the fact that Denver beat the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry, with Ryan Tannehill starting 16, nothing and blew the Texans out 38 to three and saying, you know, if we would have been better, we could have been right in the range to make something happen. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, but they got to do something to get better. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the fact that apparently Pat Shermer actually really wanted Drew Locke in this draft compared to or the whenever when he came out com- instead of Daniel Jones? Does that make you feel any bit any better about them bringing on Pat Shermer? Yeah, I'm not upset about bringing on Pat Shermer. I okay. don't know if I thought that it was absolutely necessary to change coaches, and I don't know what that's going to mean in terms of. Uh, I'm more concerned that it's. You know, this is going to be the fifth offensive coordinator in five years for Denver, which brings just another scheme. You know, Cortland Sutton's going in his third year, third offensive coordinator, potentially third scheme. Same for Drew Locke. I know his affinity for Drew Locke was a big reason they wanted to go get him. You know, I, I'm i not upset about the hire. I, I'm I'm probably more like you guys are with your new head coach. It's kind of a wait and see. It does that. I don't know if it's a magic bullet that some people seem to think it is. Gotcha. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I don't really have a thought on it whatsoever, so I thought I'd ask since I know you being a Broncos fan like you are, uh, get your thoughts on that real quick. All right, let's jump in and talk about the games that went on this weekend. First and ten at the... Lions 29 and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down at 10, takes the snap, gives it. Chubb runs, he's in a 15, he's in a 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. There goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20. 
to the right side. Off by Diggs. Stay up. We'll kick it off with two of the Browns coaching candidates. Obviously, getting Kevin Stefanski getting it. The Vikings losing to the 49ers in a 10-27 affair here. Uh, the whole offense struggled for the Vikings. Uh, just a bad matchup altogether uh, for them. Probably overachieved last week going up against the Saints and beating them in New Orleans. I believe they only had six first downs until uh, I, I don't remember what point it was in the fourth quarter when they finally got their seventh one, which actually broke the record. They were tied for the least amount of first downs in a playoff game, uh, so they, they were able to accomplish that. Uh, but uh, just uh, your thoughts on, on the Vikings game overall there and how much they struggled against it. Is, what is a very good 49ers defense, Dennis? You know, the 49ers defense is really good, and I think there's certainly in the back of Kirk Cousins' mind some big game angst. You know, he he got he he, he did win uh, a primetime game this year, and he's he's kind of moving along and he's he's growing. But I think my concern is. I, they only gave he, he, Cousins threw the ball 29 times, but yet Dalvin Cook only carried the ball nine times. And it wasn't like the game was a blowout. In the first, it ended, it was 14 to 10 at halftime. So uh, Minnesota didn't adjust at halftime very well. And that's a little bit disconcerting. Uh, I mean, Dalvin Cook was. He had a phenomenal year. He was explosive, and he ran hard, and he was tough to bring down. And when he was running well, then that opened up things for for Diggs and Thielen. You know, Thielen was he was pretty healthy this game. Uh, he caught five passes, but it just ended up being one of those games where they came out at halftime, and Minnesota just couldn't do anything. I I, I get it. San Francisco's uh, defense is is good. Their their backfield played well. You know they've got a killer offensive line. It's it's a good defense, but you're in the playoffs and you're in the second round of the playoffs, and you've got Diggs and you've got Cook and you've got Thielen and you've got Rudolph and you've got Irv Smith and Alex Madison and Kirk Cousins. You got to be able to get some something done. You you can't just score ten points in the first half and get shut out in the second half. Yeah, I think that was probably my my takeaway you know Kirk Cousins wasn't great but I think it got tougher for him down the stretch you know they got nothing out of their running game in Minnesota all season when they were successful they were a run first team and built a lot of things on running and the screen game which they just couldn't seem to get going and I think that probably um is one of the reasons that, you know, the Stefanski hire is possibly getting questioned more because they didn't make a lot of adjustments in Minnesota look flat in Saturday's game. I'm of the opinion you can't just take one 
game in a season um, and have it tell you the whole story. I think it's just not a good matchup. We've seen the San Francisco defense do it to tons of offenses. I mean, they went to Los Angeles and did it to the Rams early in the season, just totally smothered their running game and their passing game. They did it to Green Bay when Green Bay came there. This San Francisco defense, when Robert Salah gets it going and they're creating havoc, they're creating turnovers, and then you match it with San Francisco, ran the ball 47 times and was very successful and runs the clock down, shortens the game, takes a lot of pressure off their own quarterback. So they were able to do a, a lot of that to just kind of take command of the game. And I, I think they've been a better team uh, this season. They've really found something and they showed that on, on Sunday or Saturday. Uh, what a really quick before we get onto the 49ers side here. So, I mean, the Vikings, obviously, they, they kind of feel like they've been in win now mode the past couple seasons. I think that's why they went and got Kirk when they did. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, Matt. I know because you were kind of hesitant or and not wanting them, to, the Broncos to go get Kirk when he became a free agent. Uh, they've got a tough cap situation yep. moving, uh, moving ahead and a bunch of aging players. I mean, do we see them possibly being contenders for more than maybe one or two more years in the NFC North? I know there's obviously a lot of changes that can happen over that time, but just kind of looking at their current roster uh, moving forward, are you worried that there might be a full rebuild coming here for Minnesota sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing it already with they're going to be rebuilding coordinators. There's a lot of rumors that Diggs has been very unhappy and is demanding to be moved and will be moved in the offseason. So, you could see a, a different Minnesota. I think they put a lot on signing Kirk Cousins and getting him as the quarterback piece being the missing piece after falling short in the NFC title game with Case Keenum, and they didn't even make the playoffs in 2018. You know, they made it this year. And they had an okay run, but they didn't get where they need to go, and Green Bay's not going away. Chicago's not going away, and I think all of us think Detroit was a little snake bitten this year and definitely has a chance to come up. So it's, you know, it's no easy road. They may be a little bit like the Atlanta Falcons where that window hasn't slammed shut, but it's certainly just a crack now. Well, on the plus side for them, they do have all seven of their picks in the upcoming draft and they pick at 18. So they do have a little bit of opportunity to address some of their weaknesses. I certainly think they do need another offensive lineman. They probably need to bring in uh, a defensive back uh, to take over for Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Garrett Bradbury will be in his second year. They have drafted a couple high-caliber offensive linemen in the past two or three years. And so... It had the opportunity for that to come together. They've got a veteran defense. They've got some good players over on that defense. So I wouldn't say all is lost. They are in a precarious cap situation, and Rick Spielman is going to have to do uh, a little bit of magic to, you know, be able to afford a, a free agent piece here and there to to restock that way. But they are fortunate. They're not in. They're. By no stretch are they in a uh, Houston situation where to try to win, they basically gave all their picks away at a discount. Right. 
on the 49ers side here, I mean, they've really kind of turned this team around from where it was last year. Uh, really with that defense and running game, which we've all kind of known Kyle Shanahan has really been a master of the running game and running backs, and they, they've done a masterful job of that this year. I did think it was kind of funny that once Jimmy uh, Jimmy G threw that interception, they really seemed to lean even more on the run than they were earlier, uh, but they are able to come away with a huge victory here. Uh, how strong are the chances do you think they have of making it all the way to the Super Bowl? They always, obviously only have to win one more game, and then they get the Super Bowl matchup either against, I'll, I mean, I would imagine you guys know about now uh, either the Chiefs or the Titans so just the thoughts on the 49ers right now and where they might end up at the end of the season I'd say they're the favorite over uh, Green Bay but what Green Bay can do is uh, they can run that screen game and Aaron Jones is uh, more dynamic than Tevin Coleman or Matt Breida uh, and he's more powerful than Raheem Mostert I'd say Mostert's uh, as explosive as Jones is. So if uh, if Green Bay can get it rolling now, it's going to be a struggle, I think, for Green Bay because they don't have – I don't think their offensive line is as good as Minnesota's, uh, at least at this stage of the season with players being hurt and, and sort of the condition they're in. So they've got a big ask to be able to get uh, through San Francisco. I uh, I think a lot of weight is on the shoulders of the Green Bay defense. They're going to have to really step up and be able to contain that offense and make it a, a, an ugly, low-scoring game. Uh, my money's still on San Francisco. Yeah, I think if if I'm picking today, I'm probably picking San Francisco. Um, you know, I th- I think they've had a great season, um, and even though some of their players don't have a ton of playoff experience you know Kyle Shanahan got a lot as a coach um, as a coordinator and as a coach uh, and I think being at home is going to help I don't think it's going to be quite the lopsided affair that it was the last time they hosted Green Bay Um, so I think it's going to be a good game I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that and um but I, I think San Francisco probably will be the one that goes through. Yeah, I would think so too. I will save my little bit of a comparison for those two teams when we get to talk about Green Bay. Uh, the Saturday night game went at least the way that I predicted. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people were on the Ravens, and a lot of people accused me of being a Ravens hater when I took the Titans, but I'm just going to say I said if you let Derrick Henry run the ball and keep play keep away a little bit, play a little bit of good defense, you win the game. Look what happens. I'm proud of my my Titans tighten up, and I hope they get crushed by the Chiefs this weekend. But uh, their defense and running game just came through. Uh, I mean, Henry just looks completely unstoppable at this point in the playoffs, and Ryan Tannehill does just enough to, to end up winning them the game. I mean, again, you've got the Titans – I'm sorry, you got Derrick Henry now who, I mean j- – can anybody stop them? Anybody? I mean, just talking about the teams you got left, Chiefs and then either Packers or, or 49ers. Are, do you, if you're playing in a fantasy lineup, is he going in your lineup every single week moving forward? Well, now that he's throwing touchdown passes too, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's I mean, the he's new Lamar Jackson. Good. The guy's low rushing total for the playoffs so far is 182 yards. Jeez. So I think you're going you're gonna to take that. You know, the real... The real question, you know, asking about can anybody stop him, I think if you would have said before Saturday, 
just given the stat line that Lamar Jackson was going to throw for 365, run for 143, and Tannehill would only throw for 88, you probably would have picked it being a blowout in favor of the Ravens. But tons of turnovers, and they let Henry kill him. So the real question, the way you stop Derrick Henry is to score and build a lead and force the Titans to have to catch up. That's, you know, that if you think back to week 16, when the Titans hosted the Saints, the Saints really opened it up and started throwing and made it a track meet. And when it's that kind of a game, it takes the Titans a little bit uh, away from being able to use Derrick Henry and, and run out the clock. The Titans were the first one to score they kept getting turnovers. They were able to get crucial stops, especially in the first half, and to build the lead. They never had to move off of their game plan, and they were able to feed Derrick Henry 30 times. So I don't think there is any great teams out there that can stop him physically. I think the way you have to stop him is force them out of the game they want to play. Because so far, I mean, Tannehill has, has done good, and he has managed well. He produced two passing and one rushing touchdown on Saturday night. You can't take anything away from him, but he threw for 72 weeks, 72 yards against the Patriots. He threw for 88 yards against the Ravens. I don't know, you know, if Tennessee with their current receivers and and the youth and, and everything, if they get into one of those games where the chiefs are moving towards scoring 40 or 50 points, they have to play differently. Well, yeah, well, the way that you just said to beat the Titans, I think, is in all honesty the same way you beat the Ravens. They they base their team solely on the run game. Not, I shouldn't say solely, but it comes based off the run game. And when you get the lead that the Titans got on them, you have to get away from that. And I, as much as Lamar Jackson has improved this year, and he's still the MVP, it was a bad game, but he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He struggles to win games when he has to throw the ball consistently. When you have to throw the ball 60 times, you're not going to win the game with Lamar Jackson. That was some of the stuff that I was putting out on Twitter Saturday, and a lot of people were getting upset about it. I'm not criticizing Lamar Jackson overall as a player. He had a bad game. I don't care what the stats say. If you go back and look at it, I mean, realistically, half of his rushing yards and more than half of his passing yards came when the game was already out of hand, and they were just trying to get back in it. I mean, it was not – one of those interceptions was clearly not on him. Uh, I mean, if you want to say Andrews should have caught it, he did throw it a little bit high, but Andrews had his hand on it, tipped off his hands, interception. The fumble and the other interception were clearly on Lamar, though. He was throwing a lot of balls behind wide receivers. He was throwing ducks. I mean, it was it was just a bad game, and it happens. You know, unfortunately, it happened for him in the playoffs. I have no doubt, uh, and I would, I would love to ask you guys because I, I didn't see you guys say anything on Twitter. I would imagine you guys agree with me, but if you don't, let me know. Lamar's going to be back next year, and he's going to be just fine. I'm not. This is not dropping him to like QB 15 in our, my rankings next year. He's still going to be a top five, if not in the top discussion for the top two quarterbacks next year. Yeah, not at all. I mean, look, if you look at the growth that he showed between his rookie year and his second year, I don't see anything that tells me he's not going to experience the same kind of growth going from year one to year two. And the team and the coaching staff around him – are invested in putting him in positions to be successful and giving him the tools to be successful. I think part of the issue versus the Titans was that Lamar Jackson had twice as many rushing attempts as the entire rest of the team. Yeah. And and that's that I, I they can't win that way. 
the pressure was on them and they were, you know, Tennessee's defense was given Lamar and Baltimore fits. And for whatever reason, you know, maybe the RPO, he, he, you know, he gained 143 yards. And so maybe the right read was for him to carry it 20 times uh, and Ingram and Edwards to only carry it nine combined times. But then when you add those 59 pass attempts in there, it just that the Ravens aren't going to win like that consistently. Uh, so I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to come back next year. He's going to continue to grow. He's going to continue to improve. And I got to believe that they're going to give him something to work with besides Willie Sneed and Seth Roberts. All right, jumping into the Sunday games now. We got the Texans and the Chiefs, which, which was my, my goodness. Uh, so the Texans jumped out uh, uh, to 24 unanswered points before uh, Mahomes kind of came out and said, hold my beer and scored 48-41 straight. Uh, ended up finishing the game on a 51-7 run. Uh, I'm going to go with Matt first because we kind of talked about this a little bit when we did our, our Black uh, uh, Black Monday preview on, on the head coaches we thought might get fired. And I brought up Bill O'Brien. I said if he had a bad playoff run, I could see him possibly getting fired. Two really bad play calls, in my opinion, on this one. Not going for the touchdown, taking the taking the field goal with, I believe it was like fourth and inches, and then obviously doing a fake punt in your own territory. He is still technically employed. Part of that, I think, is because he doesn't have a GM, so technically he can't be fired, I guess, unless the owner comes out and does it. Uh, but your thoughts on just, in my opinion, were horrific coaching mistakes by him on a team that really had the Chiefs down and out had he just kind of kept doing what they were doing in the beginning of the game. You take this one, Matt. Yeah, I didn't um, see all of the first half because we were out watching uh, 1917. Um at the movie theater. So by the time I got there and it, it was, I think it was 24, nothing when I looked, when we got out of the movies in favor of Houston, uh, Houston, I was like, man, I can't believe it. Probably like, I don't know, an eight minute drive from the theater to our house. It was already 24, 21 yeah. when I got home. And I was like, well, that, that was fun while it lasted. I, you know, Houston maybe missed an opportunity, but <clears throat> I think they have some personnel issues. I think they need a GM and they need somebody else to be making personnel decisions. I don't totally agree with you uh, or some fans that I think he should be fired. I think they need a different defensive coordinator for sure because their defense has betrayed them. Um, You know, I don't think he's the best coach, but I don't think he's the sole reason they lost their defense couldn't stop a fart in the wind uh, after the first quarter. I mean, they, they couldn't do anything and they weren't making any adjustments. And, you know, at some point in time, O'Brien's not actually playing defense out there. You know, you can't will those guys to go and you could be critical of the player personnel side where they let a lot of their pieces from the secondary last year go and thought they could replace them and did not, exactly you know get a one for one as somebody who had the bradley roller coaster i know that sometimes you're like yeah he is a good solid cornerback and sometimes you're like oh my god do we even have a person out there and he's probably their best defensive back right now so i think they need to make a few changes Uh, i thought it was telling that watson and several of the other players uh, stood by him 
um, I don't think he will get fired. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Uh, I, I feel like it's one of those situations where he's gotten them further than they've ever been. And there, there are a couple things. They're just a, a couple moves away, a couple calls away. And I get the frustration, but we're not on the field. Now, they don't have a first-round pick next year. They do have two fourths, and they've got two extra sevenths and no sixths. So they, they actually have eight picks instead of seven. They're just a little bit later. So there's going to be some opportunity for them to shore up some, some positions as well. They, you know, Laramie Tunsil coming over last minute, I think he'll get better. He was a, a pretty good offensive lineman. And I think he's going to, uh, another, if he has an offseason in this program, Nick Martin at center. So they've got the basis for a solid offensive line. You know, if Watt could stay healthy, you know, he's for, for whatever reason lately, he seems to be getting uh, these fluke injuries. And I don't know if it's just age or, or what, um, you know, I, I, I personally uh, am in no danger of tearing my pec. So, you know, that's certainly not going to happen. <laughs> it's a relief for all the listeners, though. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they have. As much as I love Carlos Hyde, they've got a makeshift backfield. And, and Hyde played his ass off this year. I don't think they effectively used Duke Johnson. And Will Fuller can't stay healthy to save his life. It, it's they need, a, they need a reliable number two receiver that's healthier than Fuller and better than Stills. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see if, you know, Darren Fells came out. He had a 33-year-old breakout season. Uh, but they have... <laughs> You know, Kahali Waring on IR, who's uh, a little rough around the edges because he didn't play football uh, when he was younger. But he's a, a, a very athletic guy. I, I like Jordan Thomas and uh, Jordan Aikens just fine. So they've got depth at tight end if they, if they lack a superstar. So it comes down to are they going to be smart enough to spend that second-round pick, late second-round pick, on the best offensive lineman available, they need to they need to get some offensive linemen. They they don't uh, have a ton of cap space. I don't have uh, their situation in front of me, but th- they uh, they've got some work to do. I do think it hampers O'Brien trying to be GM and coach and offensive coordinator. Uh, he's got a pretty full plate, but I. I also understand, you know, the approach that says, you know, what what did it what was it that Parcells said? If you want me to make the dinner, I should be able to shop for the groceries too. Yeah. Well, he, he he's shopping and he's cooking and he better whip up something good here next year. I think if he has another year that's as inconsistent as this one, uh, I I think next year might be his last year. I mean, so in, in fairness, says they to me, have about okay. uh, sixty million in cap space. Well, they're not without without signing their key free agents. Yeah, they got to re-sign Tunsil, and there's a couple other people. And I mean, so in fairness to me, Dennis, that is actually what I said that I thought he would be on the hot seat next season, and I I, I honestly don't think he'll be back after that. Because the one thing I will say, you guys both talked about him being the offensive coordinator. I actually don't think he's that good of a job or doing that good of a job at offensive coordinator. I think it's Deshaun Watson 
that is making him look good. A lot of the plays I saw in that game, I'm I'm with you, Matt. I did not get to see some of the first quarter. I actually turned it on when it was 21 nothing. So that was when I first started watching it. I was at a kid's birthday party. So I saw it from that point on, and a lot of what I saw was Deshaun Watson doing everything he could to keep the Texans in the game, not necessarily great play calling. So we are kind of running out of time, so we'll just touch quickly on the on the last three teams here. Chiefs obviously uh, end up coming back on the, on the back there of Mahomes. Obviously did a great job. Uh, they look primed, in my opinion, to uh, at least have a really good shot of making it to the Super Bowl. I do think this is a bad matchup, them going up against the Titans. Your guys' quick thoughts on them in their next-round matchup against the Titans. Yeah, I still like Kansas City. I still think they probably will win, but we have to remember, you know, as much as I talked about being a track meet, benefiting them uh, they were in a 35 32 game with the titans earlier in the season that they lost where derrick henry was still able to run for 188 yards and two touchdowns even in a track meet game i think kansas city is probably not as good a defense as tennessee has played uh frequently that they make some plays but uh, as matt mentioned they they gave up 188 yards to Henry earlier this year and and Tannehill is making just enough plays. I I think there's definitely some explosiveness with John U. Smith and AJ Brown and you know I'm getting myself primed up for that fifth year Corey Davis breakout. So <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he did catch a touchdown on uh from Derrick Henry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he just needed the right quarterback, and the right quarterback right. happens to be the halfback. Right. So it's it's, I, I I could see it going either way, you know, I man, I'm digging what Vrabel's doing. Yeah, and yeah. he's given that team, uh, you know, they're they're, you know, if you were if you were to run into them in a bar. They would not behave politically correctly is sort of the approach that I think they have. They might say some inappropriate things. Um, they're tough guys. You know, they're going to they're going to, you know, if they can't find somebody to fight with in the bar when they're done drinking, they're going to fight with each other. And then they're going to hug it out and go to Waffle House and have some uh, smothered, covered and chunked. So. You know, they're they're playing. You know, Vrabel has given them this tough guy image and they've embraced it. And so they're willing to go out there and everybody has bought in there for. You know, I don't think anybody. Will say Corey Davis isn't talented for whatever reason. He has not put it together, but you don't hear a word of bitching from him. He's not a distraction. He's not a problem. He goes out and he does whatever they ask him to do. And if the ball comes his way, he does his best to make a play. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. You know, Dion Lewis, he come from the Patriots. And so he's used to, hey, it could be anybody's moment at any time. Or you could virtually be irrelevant the entire season. And so you don't hit, you've got these veterans. Lewan and Conklin at tackle. They're just, it's the team is sort of built around this tough guy, fight it out persona. And I, well, I, th- I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I will not be surprised one bit if it's the Titans. 
Yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be a really tough matchup for him. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, which is a little uh, is interesting considering where we all thought the Titans would be earlier this year. Uh, the last game of the weekend was the Packers and the Seahawks. Packers getting the 28-23 win on the Packers side here. Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones come through big. Uh, Rodgers and Adams hooking up a bunch of times, looking like a, a, a Aaron Rodgers had put out a quote earlier. I think it was yesterday in one of the interviews saying it reminded him of when him and Jordy had that unspoken connection. You could clearly see it. For the most part, Green Bay was the better team in this game. Uh, Seattle kind of came back late in this one. Some of that due to the fact I think that they're just beat up on Seattle. Russell Wilson was doing everything in his power to kind of keep him in that game. Uh, you know, Green Bay side, I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about on, on Seattle side. There's obviously a lot of talk about the third down play. The refs kind of decided the game on the fact that he was short of the line. Uh, you know, do they come back and win? Not kind of. They yeah, totally I mean, he was, right. But, I mean, they, they still have to get a touchdown. He was very uh, – the ball was very obviously short. And, right. Yeah, but I mean, they still have to go and score a touchdown. So I mean, it is possible, obviously, that that could have happened. There was enough time left on the clock, uh, but it wasn't something like where they were in. You know, they needed a field goal or something. They still had to go down and score a touchdown. Uh, just your guys' kind of overall thoughts on that before we get out of here. Is as I know, Matt's got to go here pretty quickly. I, you know, this game had kind of an exciting end, but I don't think it was an incredible game. Um, it was almost a little bit like the situation that we saw in the, the early game on Sunday. Green Bay completely dominated the first half, 21-3, to and then the Seahawks came back and scored three touchdowns in the second half to make it a little bit closer before coming up short. Um, but I think we thought these two teams would be fairly evenly matched. I thought... Um, Green Bay was probably uh, the better team. They're certainly the healthier team. Um, Seattle, they had a much better season than I thought they were going to have when this year started, uh, and that's largely, I think, a credit to Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, who were willing them at times. Just couldn't quite get there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to them next year. They have a little over $68 million projected cap, but they have a ton of free agents, not a ton of guys under contract. And with the, the severity of the injuries suffered by Penny and Carson and where they happen late in December, one or both of those guys is probably going to miss all of 2020 as well. So that leaves a lot of questions. You know, we saw Seattle when they had those guys were really – a great team able to power run the ball and when they lost their running backs Travis Homer was not the same Marshawn Lynch you know gave them some goal line toughness but he wasn't really getting it done either and that left it even more uh, totally on Russell Wilson so it's going to be interesting to see what they can do to improve that I kind of echo a lot of those sentiments it's uh it the Oh, shit, I forget even what I was going to say now. <laughs> nothing? You got nothing? <laughs> no. No, just to- just totally blanked out. That's all right. Maybe Matt just Matt's analysis was so spot on, there's just really nothing to add to it, I guess. Uh, I, I guess. <laughs> well, Dennis, you, we all probably feel the same way. It was kind of a bummer to see what, you know, Penny finally started to come onto his own. And tears his ACL, and when you tear it that late, that's that's a tough recovery. And Carson with the broken hip, I would wager we won't see him really next year because that's that's a let you know usually an eleven to fourteen month recovery. And where yeah. that happened, that was 
you know, that's devastating. It's not just losing your guys going when you want to make a playoff run, it's losing your guys. And that's, you know, Seattle at the time when they had those guys going was on track to potentially be the number one seed in the NFC and they drop all the way to five and, and they fought the good fight, but that's a lot to overcome. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I was going to talk about the losing both of the, their running backs as well. That's just, that's tough to overcome. You know, Jacob Hollister, after losing five tight ends, Hollister stepped up and had a nice season at tight end. Uh, Metcalf, he looked way better than I would have ever expected. And I think the thing that sort of threw me for a loop with their season was Tyler Lockett's inconsistency. Yeah. You know, you look look at his box score from yes, yesterday and, you know, nine for 136 and a touchdown, and you know that's what he can do, but for whatever reason – he just doesn't do it consistently. It'll be uh, an interesting offseason. You know, Marshawn Lynch riding to the rescue didn't quite work out, I think, like they had hoped. So, you know, I, I hope Lynch stays retired. He certainly uh, he certainly looked like he had couch explosiveness, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that's a good way of putting it. I appreciate you guys joining me today. Break those down real quick. Uh, predictions for the game tonight. I'm taking uh, taking LSU thirty eight thirty five. Matt Dennis predictions. I think LSU probably something similar to you. I, I'm just hoping it's going to be a, a good and fun game like the uh, one between Clemson and Ohio State. I know that didn't go your guys' way, but there was you know, a bowl at least game before it was this? exciting. I thought Clemson. I thought it was just Clemson LSU. There was a playoff. I, I didn't even realize that. Dennis, your prediction. I, I'm going 42-31 Clemson uh, LSU. Uh, All right. I, I just feel like uh, you know one of when you look at what J.K. Dobbins did against Clemson, and you throw Clyde Edwards-Alaire out there with his ability in the passing game and the running game, I think uh, it's going to be a big game for Edwards-Alaire. And uh, I, I feel like uh, that's going to allow the those LSU wide receivers to be able to make some big plays. Uh, and I understand that Clemson is explosive. I just think that LSU is going to be a little bit more explosive. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm with you, Matt. I hope it's a. I hope it is uh, going to be a very good game. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we will have a special guest with us on Thursday, so make sure to look out for that. Guys, not sure if the podcast will be up Thursday or Friday, but just to give everybody a heads up now, uh, it will not be the usual podcast between me, Matt, and Tony. We will have a special guest joining us. Uh, we are excited about that, getting to interview him, so stay tuned. Both of you guys have a great uh, time tonight. Enjoy the national championship game and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Right on. Go Tigers. Prepare for glory! Who can make a play? I can! Who can make a play? I can!